This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, and Ryan White is our live stream producer. Please check out my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and my Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Tonight, and for the full two hours, the history of the Bavarian Illuminati, the rise and fall of the world's most secret society. Uh, That's the name of a very, very hefty tome. It weighs in at 904 pages, including the index. And uh, writer-translator John E. Graham is here to discuss the history of the Bavarian Illuminati. Let me just crib here from the Inside the Dust Jacket. The Bavarian Order of the Illuminati is the most celebrated secret society in the world. Though officially lasting only 11 years, the powerful spell and shadow cast by the Illuminati still looms in the present day where its influence can be seen in current conspiracy beliefs and actions by powerful individuals working in the shadows. The original order of the Illuminati was founded by Bavarian professor Adam Weishaupt in 1776, although the order was banned and brought down by the Bavarian elector in 1787, when he became aware of the extent to which it had infiltrated the courts, schools, and his own administration. Its legend and deep influence lives on to this day. And as I say, John E. Graham here to discuss the, the history, the grades, ritual ceremonies, fundamental philosophies of the Bavarian Order of the Illuminati, the most celebrated secret society in the world, uh, though officially, again, lasting only 11 years. The powerful spell and shadow cast by the Illuminati still looms uh, to this day. John E. Graham, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me. I'm um, thrilled to be here. Uh, great to have you. I'm just going to, for those on the uh, the live stream, I'm just going to hold this up. You can see what a magnificent uh, work this is. Again, 904 pages and uh, practically broke the uh, the UPS driver's uh, back when he brought it to my front door. Uh, uh, let me ask you, this is the only time this has ever been translated 
from uh, the French, the original author, René Laforestier, uh, back in 1915, wrote this in, in – uh, and this is the only English translation. Why? Well, that's kind of a long story. I actually did it about 15 years ago for uh, an author that we published several of his books. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Wasserman, who's a member of the OTO. It's actually pretty high up, and he was very interested in this book. And he knew that I translated, so he asked if I would uh, mind helping him out. I didn't realize what a tome it was, but once I got started, I couldn't stop. <laughs> and then uh, things derailed his plans to, to do it, and then I spent a number of years trying to find the copyright holder, and now it's public domain. Uh, when I finally found somebody, they just basically said, it's going to be public domain in two years, so just uh, wait till then. And here it is. But the, the author himself is uh, quite interesting. He also uh, wrote on the Martinist, the Electco, and a number of uh, uh, occult societies. And as All right. as I know, there's, there's nothing comparable to this book in any language that I know of. No, no. So tell us about the first gathering of this group. They called themselves originally the Perfectibilists. Right. Um, didn't last doesn't long, have a, was... a great, doesn't really fall off the tongue like the Illuminati. But uh, this first gathering, May 1st, 1776 in Ingolstadt, Bavaria. Set the scene for us. Well... Adam Weishaupt was a professor at Ingolstadt, and at that time, it was still controlled by the Jesuits, who had made no secret of finding him an interloper and wanting no part of him. So his, his early time there set the stage for him to find allies, and he felt that in order to combat the oppressive system of the Jesuits, he needed to have people to work with in secret. So he started canvassing likely students and friends, and together they put together a society. I don't know if you've noticed, but they all took on pseudonyms, mostly from uh, classical Greek and Roman history. Yeah, Adam uh, was Spartacus. Spartacus, which is basically a perfect name for what he, how he viewed himself as leading a revolt of, of uh, slaves against monarchy, the, the, the oppressive power of the church, the oppressive power of the monarchy, and to give, basically to give human beings self-determination. But uh, that was uh, double-edged sword, because at the same time he felt that he had to manipulate people into fully devoting their energies to to his noble noble plan. Right. He wanted man to be happy and to be free, but before they could be happy and free, they had to be good. And as you right. say, sometimes, you, you know, he believed that you, you, you may have to manipulate people and trick them uh, in, into being good. And you mentioned... The Jesuits, and I guess he was taught uh, by Jesuits, yeah. and he it was kind of a love-hate thing with them, right? I mean, he in, in in some ways he mocked them, but in other ways he really mirrored the order uh, of the Illuminati 
on their structure, right? Didn't he sort of, uh, as grandmaster, wasn't he, uh, what was the, the head of the Jesuits, the superior general or the general superior? Didn't he sort of sort of mirror well, the he, structure he, he, of the, of the Jesuits as, with the Illuminati? Yeah, exactly. And, and there was a lot of the, uh, a lot of practices that he took from the Jesuits and tried to steer to more benevolent ends. And, you know, part of, it's part of the, uh, the context is that Bavaria, unlike the rest of what would become Germany in the next century, was still rather backwards and conservative, and it had been this, the seat of the Counter-Reformation to oppose uh, Luther, Luther and the other Protestant sects that had uh, gained ascendancy all throughout uh, not just Germany, but Bohemia and so on. But Bavaria remained uh, a, basically kind of like North Korea. <laughs> Uh, to the hermit sealed kingdom. off to any non-Catholic influence, and the Jesuits uh, had a domination there that was similar to what they had in Paraguay in certain Latin American areas. And right, and if we, we, the Jesuits were this secret society within the Catholic Church uh, who who would uh, do anything, fair or foul, in order to beat the enemies of the Church, and that would include assassination. Conspiracy plots. I mean, Shakespeare wrote about the Jesuits. Um, yeah, Jesuit became a uh, a metaphor uh, a, for for uh, untoward actions in, on in, on behalf of the greater good. But the greater good was what they defined it, not what other people might conceive of as the greater good. Right, and like the Templars before them, they they also, using their position, they amassed tremendous wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess, in a sense, also like the Templars, became a bit of a threat. So Pope Clement the Fourteenth, he abolished them in well, it was just a few years before the uh, the formation of the Illuminati. So did did when they were abolished, uh, did Adam Weishaupt see that as an opportunity? Is was did he did he say to himself, ah, now is the time that the the uh, the uh, Jesuits have been abolished. I, I'll take everything from them and, and create my own version. Well, what he was doing was actually because the Jesuits still were. I mean, the confessor for the Elector of Bavaria, even though he was rather liberal compared to his predecessors, was a Jesuit, and he played a big part in the downfall of the order when it when they finally were revealed but basically i think the jesuits were kind of the the i mean there are historians that think the illuminati's only existed Weishaupt to 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 carry out Weishaupt's ambition to totally destroy the jesuits but there was more to it than that uh he was really, it was really uh, a society that drew on all the Enlightenment ideas that were uh, percolating throughout Europe at that time and even in the United States. Uh, Thomas Jefferson actually wrote about Weishaupt. He heard about him after the fact and found him quite a sympathetic character based on 
what he could read of him, which, which was his uh, his philosophical moral views. Johnny Graham is uh, with us, writer, translator, and uh, the book is The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, uh, originally written by René Laforestier in 1915, and again translated uh, by John E. Graham. Let me just go back uh, and pick up on some sort of basic points here regarding uh, the formation of the Illuminati. May 1st, 1776. May 1st, that's kind of a significant uh, a date in terms of, I guess, uh, the, you know, the occult. Tell me, did was that deliberate May first? I mean, that's an old um, um, ancient fertility festival. The day before is was it Walpurgis, Walpurgis Night, Knock, yes. which is kind of linked, which is kind of linked with the occult. Was that, was that deliberate on his part? It may have been, but uh, he himself was was a, a rationalist, but he saw the effect that. Uh, occult philosophies, hermetic traditions were having in the Masonic milieu. So he would take he would take elements from things that he thought would further his own purpose. But at the and, same time, he was you know the Illuminati were at odds with the Rosicrucians and a number of other societies that they derided as superstitious. But. Uh, you know, you're never really sure of just where Weishaupt stood because he was so deft at taking things from other systems and re and integrating them into the Illuminati system. And of course, we're all familiar with the symbol, the dot uh, in a circle, the all-seeing eye, which is not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not uh, the, the the Christian or the Jewish uh, or the Muslim God. It's uh, this mysterious, unknown superior, I guess. Right. Uh, the other symbol is the Owl of Minerva. That's the Owl of uh, Athena, Athens, right? Right. And that's, you know, the, they took their the name of this, the second grade in the Illuminati order, was the Minerval grade, based on Minerva. And, you know, the motto was that they bring light to the blind. They make the blind see. So... As you say, the I mean the the ambition, you know, to make men free and happy, but first to have to make them good. It, that sounds rather benevolent, but he did envision world revolution, right? And installing this new world order, um, that would require. I mean, he wanted to he wanted to annihilate all governments. He wanted to destroy all organized religion, including Christianity. Did he? Did he? Um. Uh, did, did he uh, talk about use, the use of violence to that end specifically, if necessary? Well, there again, you know, he was very careful to not do that. And a lot of their efforts were actually trying to network so as to get their people placed through in strategic areas throughout Bavaria. And as, you know, the order grew, they actually had, lodges throughout Germany and but in Bavaria itself they were in the courts they were work they were uh, sometimes uh, hired by aristocrats knowingly sometimes unknowingly but in the the Kibis Lisa which is the 
monthly report that the Illuminati were supposed to hand in to their superiors and just, you know, detail everything they've been doing, everything in their profane life was supposed to be for the good of the order. So anybody that heard of a job opening somewhere, anything like that, the superiors would look at that. Can we get somebody here? Can we put somebody in this teaching position? Because we're going to take over the Jesuit. We're going to get rid of the Jesuit educational system. So there will still be priests, but there will be good priests that are those that we've trained. Uh, another aim is of the of the Illuminati was liberation from all social, moral, religious restraint uh, and absolute equality. What does that mean, do you think? What did he mean by liberation from all social, moral, and religious restraint? Well, again, I think you know his his thinking was shaped by the Jesuits. So he was, and in Bavaria, it was a society that was completely under the domination where, you know, books were, you could go to jail for any certain books, things like that. So it wasn't like Abby Hoffman or Jerry Roos, you know, revolution for the hell of it. There was still a solid uh, moral code based on his philosophy. In fact, they go back, they... A lot of their ideas go back to ancient Greece and Rome, and uh, I believe his lieutenant Zwack was his real name, but his Illuminati name was Cato, and I believe that's Cato the Younger, who was one of Caesar's biggest opponents. So like Spartacus for Adam Weishaupt, many of them took names of people that were... uh, fighting against the established order. And I don't think it was like a complete free-for-all. He had very definite plans for how society should be structured. And you can see that in the, in the order itself. It's very, very rigorous. It's a very defined progression from novice through Minerval into higher grades. So it's it's not uh, you know the anarchic aspect that he's going up, but he's trying to like to remove the fetters that are preventing people from perfecting themselves as their own individuals. Uh, okay, so for the masses, it would be atheism. Uh, what about for the uh, the illuminists, the 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 elites that would would uh, run this, were they? Did they have their own set of rules? Were they considered infallible? Uh, the way the society was set up, you couldn't argue with them. They knew better than you, and you know, and it, it was basically an educational venture. I mean, the the reading lists that they gave out. I mean, the, I don't. I don't. The average person would have just been reading and writing 24-7 to keep up with all the demands. You had to, when you first started, you had to do a radical self-assessment and share all your flaws with the person that had initiated you into the society at a, on a uh, trial basis. Uh, 
plus you were given a huge reading list, mostly classics, but also uh, various Enlightenment thinkers that were not uh, tolerated in the Bavaria of that era. And in terms of re- then you have oh, to write. Uh, sorry, the, go ahead, John. The, the, you had to write your observations of your fellow novices, unbeknownst to them, though. So everybody was like being trained to. He was like training people to to understand human psychology, but it was also there was a there was a heavy uh, surveillance aspect to it as well. We're coming up on a break here. We just got about a minute and a half. I just uh, I want to lay sort of the groundwork for the next segment. I want to talk about the, the those that the Illuminati, the, the Illuminati sort of targeted for recruitment because uh, although uh, he didn't have much time for organized religion, it, it, it seemed like he, he did kind of relish recruiting, you know, Calvinists and Lutherans and and others and being able to manipulate them in a certain way. I think he said something like, you know, he, he took great delight in the fact that these Calvinists and, and these other clerics actually s- thought that they saw in the the order the, the sort of the essence of Christianity. Just you want to mm-hmm. just make a, a quick comment on that and then we'll come back and, and drill down yeah, there, further. There's, I mean, he was a his his profession. He was a professor of Canaan law, which is church law, ecclesiastical matters. And he had a lot of connections with church people, and the uh, there was a fairly stark difference at that time between the Catholicism of Bavaria with the more open, enlightened Christianity of Prussia and the Palatinate and all these other areas outside. So he was he was finding people that were open to. To, they, they wanted more freedom of expression. And All right, we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, John. Come back. John E. Graham has translated René Laforestier's The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Writer-translator, award-winning translator, John E. Graham joins us, and he has translated René Laforestier's The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. For the very first time, uh, this is now available in English, 904 pages. It is a massive book. Um, So we were talking about Weishaupt's recruitment strategy, Mm -hmm. I guess, and we were talking about clerics, but he also talked about uh, infiltrating schools. Uh, the other thing that jumped out at me is that he that he, he 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 thought that women would be a very effective strategy to convince the men. So if he could get the women on side, that might convince the men to come on board. And so, so he kind of hinted at a certain emancipation for women. No, that's um, true. Go ahead. Yeah, was a, and that was part of the. Uh, one of the many accusations lodged against him is that he was uh, uh, trying to prostitute women, good German, well, uh, good women, 
and dist- distract them from their duties by filling their heads with an education that they weren't uh, capable of understanding, all the usual uh, conservative or monarch, you know, the, the conservative disdain for women are evident in the charges that were uh, part of those that the Illuminati faced once they were exposed. Right. In other words, he would he would hint at a certain emancipation for women to, to – there's a bit of trickery involved here because he still envisioned a very patriarchal society, right? Yeah, I think, you know, in the context of the time, it's hard for somebody to be – to totally see equality that is so radically different from the assumed knowledge of their time. And, you know, what he was doing was making steps and saying that, you know, women could be educated and being equals to men. But, you know, there was – he didn't put a lot of energy into it. But what he did, what was said, was enough to uh, excite the fears of, you know, later the Abbey Baruel and others that uh, began seeing Illuminati in, in every uprising and action against the state or the church. So another another uh, great uh, fertile soil for recruitment uh, were, were literary societies and libraries. And we can sort of think of, I guess, literary societies and libraries because they were churning out all sorts of information as kind of the internet of the day. So he wanted the Illuminati to sort of to monitor everything that was in print There's an interesting Mm -hmm. quote from him. Uh, He says, if a writer publishes anything that attracts notice but does not accord with our plan, we must endeavor to win him over or decry him. Uh, So decry him. Uh, Discredit, slander. I mean, how far were they willing to go? If if a popular author couldn't be won over, then they would then work to sully their reputation to ensure that their views didn't run counter to what their grand plans were. Uh, Why did he choose to infiltrate Freemasonry? Well, it was a, he had a, he, it was actually a moral quandary for him at first. He was initially planning to join the Masons and then was disappointed when he saw it was all what when he got a hold of uh, books and saw that everything was there in print. So it wasn't really secret. And he, he thought, well, this is, I'll just do my own society because it's important that it has to be a secret society. You can't get any real work done if everything is open to the misunderstanding of the public and the authorities. But then, as time went on, he was convinced by some of the other members of the Aeropagus, which is the, the governing board of the Illuminati, 
which is again a Greek term. It's like the hill of Ares. There was the Areopagite Council of Ancient Athens. So again, he's they're using classical Greece as a kind of template for what they're trying to do to, to, to dispel the darkness of Catholic Bavaria. They were looking for the light from Greece. So he had many misgivings, but then once he realized that they could become members of a lodge and then just take it over and it would become a ready source of recruits, it made perfect sense for him. So it was, so uh, just, it was a great vehicle would, for rapid expansion, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's always the, the thing about secret societies is that there's a, there's a kind of disconnect between their need to grow and the, and the mission they're trying to perform, because the mission will often be subsumed by the need to expand. Uh, true or false, uh, John? That Weishaupt yeah. and and the order um, advocated for kind of an abolition of ordinary morality. In other words, uh, if if something was done on the command of superiors or for the good of the order, it was allowed. That would include things like poisoning, assassination, perjury, treason, rebellion. Those wouldn't be crimes if they were done on the command of a superior, or they were done for the good of the order? Well, I think the way he said it is that the crimes of the order are lesser in scale uh, than the good deeds of Pharisees and, and other representatives of the existing order, because of the ultimate, you know, if the end justifies the means. But a lot of a lot of the uh, uh, more s- sensational things about poisoning and all were, were partly from their detractors. I mean, I don't think there was any evidence that Weishaupt had engineered any assassinations. It's a, I mean, they were on a remarkable growth spurt until they were outed. And I don't think yeah. they reached a point where they were feeling that, I mean, they felt pretty confident that their star was on the rise and nothing could stop it. How, how quickly did they grow? Uh, from the original five that met in Ingolstadt, um, in that 11-year period, how quickly did they grow? Do we have a handle on how many numbers there were? Well, there were quite a few. And, you know, they, they Ingolstadt was the center, but Munich, which was known as Athens to them, was the major uh, center for Illuminati activity. But they moved into Ravensburg and Friesing, and then uh, over the years, they they had quite a few uh, fairly famous members in the Frankfurt Lodge and other lodges that they, they had started outside of their traditional area of influence. 
You know, Goethe was a member, though he didn't really contribute much, and the philosopher Herder. There were quite a few surprising names in there, but yeah, they were actually members, but how much they actually contributed or were part of the the Aeropagus, the Aeropagus Council is, is not known. It, it, it's also been suggested that Weishaupt was, I mean, although he advocated, you know, secrecy, conspiracy, the great strength of our order lies in its concealment and so forth, that maybe he was the one that kind of blew the whistle on the existence of the Illuminati, uh, kind of as a, a, a publicity stunt in order to, uh, it's almost like forbidden fruit, in order to, you know, to make it better well, better known. Any truth to that, do you think? Well, it's it's more complicated than that. Uh, Weishaupt was rather arrogant, and one of the later members had his feelings hurt, so he took a lot of private documents and uh, took them not to the elector because he really didn't mind. He wasn't. I guess it was the elector called Theodore at that time. But his cousin, who should have been the wife of the, uh, his, he, he took over when the earlier elector died, but the dowager duchess Maria Anna was still around, and this disgruntled Illuminati member went to her with all sorts of things, and he had connections with her. In fact, Weishaupt had been upset with him because he was supposed to steal compromising letters from her. That was another thing that the Illuminati were looking to do, is to find, to get people in in positions with people of power so that they could get copies or steal incriminating documents so that they would have the ability to blackmail them or control them. So he went to her with all this stuff, and she completely flipped out and went to tell her cousin, who thought it was was nothing, and he had no problems. He he had apparently been a secret Freemason, which was not uh, kosher in Bavarian society. So he poo-pooed the whole thing until something else got to him where he, he realized that this was a possible danger to his own existence. So he just wrote an edict banning all secret societies, all groups whatsoever. And then Adam Weishaupt decided, well, our intentions are pure. We, we have the best in mind for humanity. So he's still without revealing his identity started making overtures and saying that, you know, we were here, we're, we're supporting the liberal aspects of your rule. We're trying to help you liberate Bavaria from the oppression of superstition and so on and so forth. John, got to take another time out. We'll come back and uh, 
Continue the conversation on the Bavarian Illuminati, the rise and fall of the world's most secret society. John E. Graham, translator. Back with more in a moment. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with John E. Graham, award-winning translator. And uh, this is the book, folks, The Bavarian Illuminati. Hold that up for the webcam. I don't know if you can see that with the autofocus. The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, originally written in 1915 by René Laforestier. This is the only English translation for the first time. What, were the, what was the greatest challenge in putting this together? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, well, it's just the, the sheer length, and then there's a lot of... Uh, uh, Latin and classical allusions. So I was like just digging through and trying to find the uh, what the influences were to know more about why they were choosing the names they did. The author um, didn't feel the need to do that at the time because you know education and and the turn of that century was still Latin and Greek were still part of the general education. But, uh, so there was a lot of extra work just to give modern readers uh, guidance and context. Uh, in the On the dust cover, it says here, inside the dust cover, many of the documents the author consulted for the writing of this book were destroyed during the two world wars making this book the only surviving record of many of the order's secrets. Uh, when it says the author, is that referring to you or, or René Laforestier? Or oh, I guess it would have uh, to be René you Laforestier. because Forestier yeah, wrote this they, in 1915. Uh, so yeah, what documents were destroyed? Well, there was, you know, the carpet bombing of, of many German cities took out some of that. I don't know if the Munich archive survived or not. Uh, but, you know, the lodge records in Hanover and Frankfurt, places like that, that he was able to consult were no longer there. I mean, the, the loss of uh, historical records in the bombing of Germany was just incalculable because, you know, everybody looks at the Nazis as for their uh, as murderers, but they were also looters. They looted all of Europe, and yes. the train yards in uh, Frankfurt were just filled with treasures from uh, monasteries and synagogues and so on and so forth all over Europe that they hadn't quite sorted out yet. So, yeah, a lot of stuff went up in, in smoke and ash. Do you think... Uh that Weishaupt is a, a sympathetic character. Uh, he's a he's a complex character. I don't think he's totally. Uh, he's arrogant and vain, and he was you know he his whole relationship with people would go from 
infatuation to disdain and a lot of uh, his history at Ingolstadt at the University there was kind of repeated in the order as a whole. And if he hadn't been so arrogant, chances are that uh, Schneider would never have gone to the Dowager Duchess with all the incriminating papers. You know, and as he told her, you know, that he described it as an extremely dangerous Masonic society that cloaking itself in morality and love of humanity was seeking to expel from the hearts of the young their attachment to the sovereign and their country. They declared patriotism a puerile chimera that was harmful to humanity and religion pure, pure foolishness. These Freemasons, held as a principle that the ends justified the means, demanded blind obedience of their superiors' orders, and educated the brothers to study each other reciprocally and reveal their defects and passions to the society. They professed that their adherents had acted out of passion and not by reason, that suicide was permissible, and awarded itself at least tacitly the right of life or death over the members of their society. So, you know, this is this is basically the template for most secret societies that followed. Right, right. And and those uh perhaps that uh went before, like the assassins. Yeah. Uh the Templars perhaps. All right, this was a short segment, John. We're going, to, uh, we're going to come back and uh, take it up to the top of the hour with more of our conversation regarding the Bavarian Illuminati coming up in the second hour. Uh, John will stay with us, and we'll also take questions from the, uh, the YouTube, YouTube and Rumble live chat, and we'll also open up the phone lines at 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. John E. Graham is with us, and he has translated René Laforestier's The Bavarian Illuminati into English, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. Um, the, the, the Masonic scholar Manly P. Hall, he claimed that the Illuminati were really just a fragment of a larger movement. In other words, they they um, they weren't the whole story. They were simply a chapter. I mean, there 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 were other societies that kind of refer to themselves as the Illuminists. I think there was there was one in Afghanistan. Uh, there was one in Spain. Uh, I think you mentioned the Romans. What do you think about Manly Paul's assertion? Oh, I think it's uh, definitely worth considering. Uh, Nothing that the author consulted revealed any of these any ties of that nature, but you know the 
you know, what they call the golden thread of, you know, the hermetic philosophy really does travel through the centuries unbroken. Uh, you know, one of the rival groups that the Illuminati was competing for members with was the Strict Observance, which considered itself as uh, direct descendants of the Knights Templar. And while it's been historically convenient to claim that the Templars were wiped out by Philip the Fair and they just, you know, stepped off, you know, the game board of history, there's a lot of evidence to show that they probably ended up in Scotland. And it is known that the Portuguese Templars just changed their name and kept going on as they always had. But, you know, the the Masonic connection with the Knights Templar is historically accurate. All the Masons of 14th, 13th, 14th century Paris lived in the Templar jurisdiction, which the King of France didn't have jurisdiction over that. It was the Masons. I mean, not the Masons, it was the Templars controlled that, and con- consultation of uh, a Masonic scholar, historian, consulted all the church records and saw that all the Masons of Paris were living there. And when the hammer fell on the Templars, they became, they pretended to be Masons in order to escape. And the thing about Masons that makes this plausible is that Masons could travel wherever they wanted. They didn't need traveling papers because building projects were all over Europe. Churches were being built all over Europe. So if you were a Mason and you had the tools of the trade, you didn't need to have permission to go to go, go into a city or go out of a city. So it's like a special visa to me that the Masons mm-hmm. did have a direct connection with the Knights Templar. So they only lasted 11 years officially. How did they run foul of, um, was it Carl Theodore of Bavaria that banned them? Yeah, yeah he banned them, and then as they, uh, as they argued their case, he became more intransigent, and at one point, uh, Weishaupt decided that it was too dangerous to have all the orders, records, and things in Bavaria, so he sent them to another uh, Illuminati member who was an aristocrat in Nuvid, Germany, and he was given the honorific as the Supreme General of the Order. And as the Illuminati were exposed as be of having infiltrated all levels of of uh, the Bavarian bureaucracy, the courts, the schools, noblemen's entourages, the the threats of uh, the the accusations that they were poisoners and offering women abortions and anti-patriots 
were met by the encouraged by his Jesuit confessor, Carl Theodore, allowed the police to start uh, arresting the the uh, Illuminati members that were still in Bavaria. And not letting them work, things like that. Right. And um, they were banned, in, I think, originally in 1785, and then again in 1787, and, and then again in 1790. So, I mean, the pattern here is that this this uh, suppression obviously wasn't entirely successful. It wasn't easy, not particularly thorough. Um, right. So well, when, there were when we say they only... Sorry, go ahead. ...were in the... that, like the Count of Zweibrucken was not going to fire his personal secretary because the elector was accusing him of being an Illuminati member. So... Right. So, um, yeah, 1988, uh, 1785, there's like a lot of uh, legal actions against them. And... Weishaupt went into exile, and apparently they tried right. to trick him into coming back into Bavaria several times, but so they could arrest him. But he was yeah, he, too. He went to Gotha, I guess, that. nearby Gotha, where he was protected by the Prince of Gotha, who was an Illuminist, yeah. right? Yep. He had he had friends in high places, in other words. Well, you know that that's one of the things, and you know the the Masons when you know it's. Uh, what year? I think it was after the Enclosure Act were set in England, there was also a ban of all secret societies except for the Masons in England. And I believe that's because it was such a, all the highest members of society, all the aristocrats and noblemen were members of the Masons. But all other secret societies were were banned around, and out of fear of the, you know, the French Revolution and the uh, the uh, accusations of certain people like Abbe Baruel, Baruel, to that the Illuminati were at work, the puppet masters pulling the strings. I do want to uh, come back to that maybe in the second hour, but just as we roll into the top of the hour here before we break, uh, so. Even though they officially were around for 11 years, and we know that Adam Weishaupt uh, lived to write and and perhaps scheme until well into his 80s, is mm-hmm. is there any reason to believe that the the Illuminati uh, ceased to exist after 11 years? Well, this is what you know. Forestier believes that the uh, the the members of the Illuminati in Germany were all, they all went to ground. Those that escaped uh, legal action decided that hiding was the best solution. And no records of them working together were were available or have been found. 
but it's is it possible that they simply infiltrated some other organization? They moved on, and the names changed. But well, it's certainly it's certainly a possibility because you can see through their through the history as portrayed in this book, they are very skilled at insinuating themselves into any organization they set their eyes on, and in fact insinuate the 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 term for getting new members the the their the person that enrolled them was the one who insinuated them into the order interesting all right um i guess we have a couple minutes here one minute just enough time to uh, once again remind listeners that john e graham will stay with us into the next hour the translator of Rene Laforcier's The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. And again, we'll take your questions beginning the next hour from our YouTube and Rumble live chats. And my live stream producer, Ryan White, will curate those for me and uh, send them my way in the uh, messaging uh, message chat. And we'll also open up the phone lines, questions and comments at 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area, 416 360 0740 and toll free from just about anywhere 866-740-4740 866-740-4740 when in doubt blame the government you're listening to the conspiracy show with richard serrett from zoomer radio Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer. Ryan White is our live stream producer. And again, check out my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and my Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Writer-translator John E. Graham stays with us to discuss the history of the Bavarian Illuminati, their grades, rituals, ceremonies, and fundamental philosophies. The Bavarian Order of the Illuminati is the most celebrated secret society in the world. Though officially lasting only 11 years, the powerful spell and shadow cast by the Illuminati still looms in the present day. I mean, witness, you know, uh, two centuries on, and we're, we're still pouring over Super Bowl ads, uh, looking for Illuminati uh, symbols. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the list of cultural references 
Let me ask you, uh, John, in terms of these cultural references, uh, it's been speculated that Mary Shelley, the author of uh, Frankenstein, uh, was really um, because Victor Frankenstein uh, that, you know, was in Ingolstadt. That's where the, the Illuminati met for the first time in Ingolstadt, uh, that somehow Frankenstein was a metaphor. You know, this monster that was created, the Illuminati created by Adam Weishaupt. It was a, it was a monster that got out of control. Uh, and that's what Mary Shelley was was alluding to or that was a metaphor. What are your thoughts? Hmm. I've never heard that, but no, that's interesting, and I would say that there's probably uh, that could well be true. Uh, knowing her engagement with uh, political and cultural matters of that time, right? Um, I think her husband Percy Shelley. Something actually, Percy Shelley may have written uh, Frankenstein. I don't know. That's maybe a little. Uh, um, what should I say? Yeah, How I should I say? It? Not misogynist. Not misogynistic to suggest that. But I, right. so I don't think Percy needed to write it for. But, right. No, she was. Know, a, she was a, a tremendous talent. Poets, but that's uh, the, the theory because he was a. He was a. He was apparently a. a uh, fascinated with the Illuminati and possibly a member. Is there any evidence to suggest Percy Shelley was an Illuminist? Nothing that it was in the records that Forestier consulted. It was pretty much a German. Uh, you know, the closest is that one of the early members, because they all took on names of uh, figures that they admired, and uh, one of the first members. His name was uh, Steger, named himself Shaftesbury, who was a, now he's a forgotten philosopher, but at the time he was a uh, member of a neoplatonic philosophical organization in England in the, uh, say, late 17th century, early 18th century. And uh, did the Illuminati become kind of the, I don't know, the bogeyman in, in let's say, Gothic literature? Like, in the same way that, you know, Ian Fleming used Spectre in, in his James Bond novels. Is there any evidence that, 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 that the Illuminati became kind of that, that the villain in all of these pot, uh, pot boilers? Oh, yeah. No, I think that's, that's pretty accurate. And it started with uh, the writers like, you know, Baruel, who I've mentioned, but also uh, John Robinson, who is uh, a professor of natural philosophy at Edinburgh. He wrote a book. Let me see, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, here it is. Proofs of a conspiracy against all the religions and governments of Europe carried on in the secret meetings of Freemasons, Illuminati, and reading societies. There you go. I think he might yeah, have even been mentioned, or the Illuminati may have been mentioned in Tolstoy's War and Peace. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, where were the other cells? We, you mentioned... Uh, we mentioned, you know, Bavaria and and uh, did they get as far as Russia? 
speaking of Tolstoy? Were there, was there no, an Illuminati to, cell in uh, Russia? If they did, it it's, wasn't in the papers this author consulted. Uh, but they were in Austria, which was also um, one of the arguments against them, because there was a, a lot of tension between Prussia and Austria at that time. And one of the arguments that was used against the Illuminati when the Bavarian elector was cracking down on that they were secret agents for the Habsburgs and that they were secretly trying to destroy his uh, government on behalf of the Austrians. Well, were they ever, were ever uh, were any Illuminati members ever charged with things like sedition or treason or trying to incite revolution? Well, most, most more as, as you know, there were laws against uh, ideas at that time. So they they weren't. None of them really got hammered. I mean, if Weishaupt had been arrested, they probably would have gone further. But when you look at the uh, in the chapter on the end of the order. It goes through what they what they had to deal with, and mostly they were drummed out of their professions and maybe held in the dungeon for a while during their trial, but then released on a promise to abandon all uh, contact with their former Illuminati members, brothers. And and the the rumor that. The Illuminati somehow informed the French Revolution. Is there any evidence of that? Well, there were certain people, like uh, uh, a man named Bode, who tried to resurrect the Illuminati order after Weishaupt went into exile in Gotha, and you know, and he was Weishaupt was just was depicted as embittered and totally uninterested in trying to resurrect the society and Bode took it upon himself to try to do it and had his own uh, mishaps but he's supposed to have met with some French uh, intellectuals I think Mirabeau was one that had some sort of influence at the beginning of the French Revolution but I don't think there's any evidence that says that an Illuminati member was corresponding with Robespierre or anything. When you when you listen to the ambitions of Weishaupt and, and the Illuminati and things like absolute equality and um, uh, you get the sense that, th- that there was you know a certain aspect of communal living and and uh, uh, the distribution of goods would be sort of in a, done in a communal a communal sense. It does sound familiar. It does sound like communism. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I'm sure that, that the, uh, I mean, the ideas that Karl Marx codified into communism were lurking around in Europe, you know, well before he wrote them down. And there are other 
uh, revolutionary figures like Proudhon and people like that. But, you know, the, the language that Weishaupt used was the language of morality. I mean, he was like, and even though he was accused of using that as uh, a disguise for his more disagreeable ambitions, uh, his basic thing is to render men wise and virtuous. That was like the mission statement of the Illuminati at its founding. And why the reading societies, I mean, it, you're, you know, the context of the time, which is so different from our own, that there are forces that wouldn't mind going back there, if I, judging from the book banning craze that's going on. But, you know, at the time in, when Weishaupt was professor, he almost lost his position for bringing in books that were on the uh, banned list. So there's a certain courage in, in Weishaupt to advance his ideas, the ideas he believed in. All right, let's go to the uh, live chat questions. Uh, Thinker asks, um, well, this is presuming that they're still around. How are the Illuminati doing? How is their plan progressing? What what were the what were their goals or their plan? Well, we sort of mentioned that off the top, but. Uh, I guess the question here is, are they, is there a possibility that they, the Illuminati is still a thing? Are they still trying to work their plan? Well, there is, there is uh, groups that call themselves Illuminati. I don't know if, I don't think there's an unbroken connection between the group in Germany and, and, and the organizations today that are I don't know how how developed they are I don't know if they have the the grade systems I mean it's a it's a fairly complex secret society so uh, running that is almost as takes almost as much time as it would be to pull the puppet strings of officials and you know, elected officials and so on. Well, there's, I guess, the obvious um, connection people would make between the Illuminati and, let's say, the World Economic Forum, which is very de rigueur today. People suggesting that Klaus Schwab, uh, who has, you know, acknowledged that that he's very proud of the fact that his that he has infiltrated a lot of the cabinets of the Western democracies. Uh, our deputy prime minister here in Canada, Christian Freeland. Is on the mm -hmm. board of directors of the World Economic Forum, and of course, we're familiar with the uh, the slogan "You will own nothing and be happy," um, and the Great Reset and Build Back Better, and all of these things. What What do you make of that that attempt to uh, equate well, the yeah, the, the goals of the Illuminati and the World Economic Forum? Well, the ideas of the Illuminati didn't die. The Illuminati, as a group, may have been suppressed, but the ideas they uh, espoused still found an echo in people that read them. I mean, uh, when Thomas Jefferson read some works by Weishaupt and he read Baruel's book, he thought 
he called Baruel a bedlamite, which is, you know, a lunatic. Because he thought Weishaupt's ideas were meritorious. He thought they had, they, they dovetailed with his own in many ways. But, you know, the... I think I said earlier, I think the, the Illuminati is a secret society, is a template. And while there may not be any direct connection between Spartacus and Cato and Philo with a new group calling themselves the Illuminati, they still, their ideas, their philosophy still has legs. Uh, and then, you know, that and it's not just the people who don't have power that would be drawn to the Illuminati. It's the people that are in power, like the World Economic Forum. I mean, right, I could see right. them taking these ideas and turning them to their own advantage. Well, I've, I've, I've heard or read that, you know, that the, the type of influencers and opinion makers that Weishaupt was trying to recruit, they weren't the um, the have-nots, certainly, the people with nothing. They weren't the the have-alls, the people that had everything, like the the uber, uber elite. Uh, they were more like the have-sums. In other words, maybe they, they were recruiting people that had, you know, they had some, they didn't have everything, so they had a little bit of, they had a lot of ambition and maybe even some resentment sort of the people that typically are in the driver's seat, you know, during most revolutions. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, they had they had two uh, uh, demands on people. Most of the people that became members, they expected to pursue a trade that would benefit the order uh, financially and help its reputation. But they also, uh, if if you're rich and you could just pay, then you wouldn't have to do anything, any work to better the order because your financial contributions were enough. So there was, Let's a, see. in Weishaupt's correspondence with his lieutenants, he's always, you know, if they mention someone as being wealthy, he's always directing them to, offering them a different deal than what uh, the average Illuminati member would be offered. Uh, back to the live stream chat, Sierra One asks, uh, who was Charles, is it Jolie? Does that name sound familiar? Who's that? Charles Jolie or Jolie, J-O-L-Y? Huh. Doesn't sound familiar. I'm not sure if he has the the name right or she has the name right. Charles Charles. No, that's not a Sh name. It. All right. Um, show me the truth. Seventy four. Well, he says, "Is there really a Bavarian Grove?" I think he means Bohemian Grove. This is sort of the uh, the playground of the uh, supposed, oh, yeah, the you Bohemian know, modern day Illumina is, Illuminati and Bohemian Grove. Yeah, real. it exists in I mean, in like Northern California. You know, it's you know, it's a bit 
the gathering of uh, people with power and, you know, helping each other out. The network of very rich and powerful individuals. Now, they have, as their symbol at the Bohemian Grove, they have an owl. I'm not sure if it's the owl of Minerva or if it's another symbol. Um, are you? Do you know if it is Minerva or... I think it is Minerva because I think they too have a you know, profess to be guided by the quest for wisdom. All right. We'll uh, throw out the phone numbers again, questions or comments. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. 740, 866-744-740. What do you think Adam Weishaupt would make with um, our fascination today with the Illuminati? I mentioned, you know, a Super Bowl ad and we're we're looking for Illuminati signs or at the American Music Awards and somebody flashes some some occult symbol and, oh, they're, you know, they're in the Illuminati or uh, Madonna had that huge hit about the Illuminati in 1985. What would mm-hmm. I, Adam Weishaupt think of our preoccupation with that today? Well, that's a fascinating question. I think after he got over the shock, he'd probably start looking for ways to capitalize on it and start pulling strings to, to, uh, provide a, to create a, a new version of the order. I mean, that the, the world is so different. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard for us to fathom how they thought, and it's hard to imagine what they would have thought of us. It would have been easier for them to recruit, would it not, with the, uh, in the digital age, the internet, and so oh, forth? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, I mean, they, he was able to get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of members all over Germany in, you know, 11 years is a relatively short span of time. Did they have, um, did they have to, 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 to swear secret oaths and did they have secret handshakes and, and uh, secret symbols and so forth? So that yeah, members would recognize each other without revealing their identity. Yeah, you weren't. You were only. Uh, you were not supposed to reveal your uh, membership in a society to anybody but someone that you knew to be a brother. And then uh, people in the higher grades, you might not even know, were members because it would be up to them to d- disclose their identity to you or not, depending what your position was. But the disclosing of the identity would usually be prelude to a rise to a higher level of the person that they revealed themselves to. And if you did reveal your identity, was there a penalty? Well, I don't think it would be pleasant, but uh, there doesn't seem to have been any serious Things. There are members that were 
basically abandoned. And you know, there was a procedure for uh, going over to their house and and getting all their papers and anything incriminating whatsoever. So no threat of disembowelment or anything like that? No, not that I've, I've seen. Not that I translated. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. John E. Graham stays with us, the translator of René Laforestier's 1915 work, The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. Back with more of our conversation and your questions right after these. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. back with John E. Graham, translator of René Laforestier's 1915 work, The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, and now available for the first time ever in English. How do we get a copy, and how do we get this? This is a huge book. How do you get this shipped? <laughs> well, I, the book is uh, available uh, online at uh, brick-and-mortar stores. Uh, it's Probably you could also order from Inner Traditions directly. We have our own uh, uh, bookshop, mail mail order shop for all our books, and we usually uh, give discounts. In fact, if you be, if you sign up for our mailing list, I think you get a twenty five or forty percent discount. I'm not quite sure, but so the first order, your first order after you sign up, you get a hefty discount so right i always yeah recommend I mean, it's, that. it's a, let's face it it's an expensive book but this is you know it's like 900 pages this is the kind of book you know would be the uh the foundation of uh of a library for for people that are interested in in these things and the occult and secret societies i mean this is really this is like you know the bible for uh, uh with a small b for for um that type of um you know in that arena um yeah, really Numerology. When when we talk about the Illuminati in modern times, and people are looking for you know the fingerprints of the Illuminati uh, for their so-called handiwork, uh, they talk about you know how perhaps they they pick specific dates to do certain things. Was Weishaupt? Um, was he int- interested in in numerology, and does that play any role in it? Uh. I can't see that he did, except on the, insofar as it helped him to draw in members from more occult organizations. I mean, he and the the Rosicrucians and the Illuminati were bitter enemies in Germany. And I, and a lot of the other lodges, too, felt that the Illuminati were stealing their members. So there was a lot of bad blood because 
Weishaupt would use his knowledge of their societies and say that the Illuminati has a perfected version of these truths, that they could make them uh, readily available, whereas in the other societies, people would be strung along for, for years on promises. But, All right, let's go. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought there. No, I just I just don't see that. You know, he was especially attached to numerology. He was he was really a, a fighter. How so? But he was also a, a bookworm. You know. When you say he was a fighter, what do you mean by that? He was, you know, he was always ready. He he would never back down. I mean, when he did finally go to Gotha, it was like, you know, he would have been charged with infanticide, incest, uh, poisoning, sedition, and his sponsor, uh, the Duke of Saxe-Gotha-Altenburg, you know, resisted all the elector of Bavaria's pleas to extradite him so he could pay for his crimes. And he said, he's a perfectly eminent person that's performing valuable services for me. I have no reason to give him to you, and I don't believe any of this. And finally just said, you know, out of my esteem for you, I'm no longer going to reply to these requests. <laughs> so they were these were trumped-up charges. They tried to charge... Was this uh, Carl Theodore of Bavaria? They tried to charge Adam Weishaupt with infanticide? Yeah, apparently um, there was a really, his, when his wife died on his, on her deathbed, she asked him to marry her sister. And he was not able to get permission from the church. He was kept angling for it, but uh, somehow, you know, in the three years that he was trying to do that, the sister, his sister-in-law, wife-to-be, became pregnant, which would have been, uh, would have rendered all his attempts to get a legally sanctioned wedding, a marriage, you know, null and void. So, he he was instrumental in finding her an abortion, but somehow that that made that news made its way to the uh, authorities. So they just added that to the charges. To what extent did the Illuminati infiltrate the the, the, the local you know the court system, the magistrates, uh, and and what kind of influence did they have? Would so, for example, if a, a, a member of the order. Uh, was on trial for something, could they likely get off because of this influence? Oh, yeah. Um, well, they had the, uh, you know, the church, the, the educational system, but also the, uh, when the Illuminati were exposed and they were demanding their critics to come out and identify themselves so they could respond to them and to their scurious charges. 
none of them would because they all said, well, your people are all through the courts. There's no way we could get a fair trial. Like, and if see, he had, they were in the Supreme Court, the criminal court. I think they had like eight, ten people, ten Illuminati just in the criminal court. Uh, civil court, they had five or six people. And so it's quite like a, in the in the Freemasons, you're not supposed to. Um, I'm not sure if this is apocryphal or not, but the you're supposed supposedly you swear an oath that you will never testify, or you 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 would you could lie in a court. Um, in order to protect a fellow Mason. So was, would that have been the same deal with the Illuminati if you were hauled before a court and you, it, let's say it was a, I don't know, you, you were a witness in a crime and the, the defendant was an Illuminati and you were Illuminati. You, could you, were you expected to lie, bear false yeah. witness or yeah, yeah. false testimony? Yeah, your your uh, obedience to the order uh, superseded obedience to the state. The order was the ultimate authority. Your superiors were the ultimate authority. It was that. That is unquestionably true. Even even in a let's say in a, in a uh, a murder trial. I would say so. I mean, just looking at Weishaupt's correspondence and how he could twist things around to show that the greater good was being served. But uh, let's let's see here. Um, Hoffcast in the uh, YouTube live chat asking if you've seen the show Twin Peaks, John. There are a lot of Freemasonry and Illuminati imagery, imagery in that show. Well, that's going back to the early 90s, Twin Peaks. Were you a fan? Uh, I've watched it a few times. I I uh, was actually I was living somewhere where I didn't have a TV, so I missed out on that. So I've been p- planning to check it out, but haven't gotten around to it. I mean, it's so, like I like David Lynch. So, but, but when you see um, people finding. Illuminati symbols in in uh, Super Bowl ads, like we were saying, or I mean, how much of that is is fantasy and myth? In other words, it there's no real connection between these supposed, you know, Illuminati symbols that they're seeing and the actual Bavarian Illuminati. Well. I'd have to look at the ads and, and question, but I mean, I, I think it's it's a remote possibility, but generally the, the symbols that you find there weren't created by the Illuminati. I mean, it's, as, as their organization and their uh, pseudonym show, they were, they were basically trying to resurrect the enlightened state of ancient Greece in what was then, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, because pre-Germany. So, All right. the symbols, this, the symbols, 
our you know DNA. Their their DNA of culture is symbols, so they're going to keep coming up and coming up and coming up. And the thing about groups like the Illuminati or the Masons is that they're more adept at using symbols in a way to further their own goals than uh, the average person. All right, we'll take another time out, come back, get some more questions from our YouTube and Rumble live chats and on the phones, 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. My conversation with John Graham, translator of Rene LaForge's The Bavarian Illuminati. Back with more in a moment. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Johnny Graham stays with us, award-winning translator, and uh, he has translated Rene Le Forestier's 1915 work, The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, published by Inner Traditions. This idea that, you know, at the top, these, uh, the elites, the enlightened ones, like Adam Weishaupt and his generals, I suppose, that they were infallible. Uh, and there is this notion of the purity of the pure. In other words, because they're at the top and they are pure, uh, anything they do, um, you know, cannot be looked at as sin. It's almost like they get out of get a get out of jail card. I don't know to what extent that was true in the Alum, Illuminati. This idea of the purity of the pure. Uh, so the idea here then that that in some of these secret societies, when you had that purity of the pure, it was really almost kind of a cover for uh, like a sex cult. They could, you know, they were involved in all sorts of uh, activities um, that they they weren't to be judged uh, for. Is there any any hint of that in the Illuminati at the, at the higher levels? Uh, yeah, I mean, and you have to remember that the members below wouldn't know who who were the secret chiefs, who were the the head of the orders, uh, except for a few figureheads. That you know anybody they met by chance could be. Uh, someone from a higher grade. You know, so they sort of felt they had to be on their toes. But uh, Weishaupt's own thing, I mean, a lot of the uh, Illuminati members were, you know, addicted to some vice or another, but we know that because Weishaupt would write letters to them telling them to stop because it was distracting them from their duty to the uh, to the order. And he would shift responsibilities from those members that were too lackadaisical to those who he could trust. But ultimately, he could never find anyone that... Uh, he trusted as much as himself. So I think the infallibility was something that he clung to 
And by extension, the Aeropagus would all be infallible to the if there was a conflict affecting members in the order. I was I was thinking of um, Benjamin Franklin, who belonged to, I think it was called the Hellfire Club, mm-hmm. and uh, they were supposedly involved in all sorts of debauchery and and um, you know sexual activities and 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 just about everything you can imagine, you know. Uh, so, uh, did any of that type of behavior exist in the upper echelons of the Illuminati? There's no clear proof of it. Uh, you get allusions to certain things, but then a lot of that is colored by their enemies who tried to paint as black a picture as they could of the Illuminati. So, I mean, it's not like there's, uh, you know, sex magic or manuals of of that sort that Weishaupt alludes to. It's it's more in a philosophical plane. Do you think someone like Aleister Crowley would have been at home in the Illuminati? Would he have been welcomed as a member? Uh, he would have been welcomed as a member, but I would see him trying to oust Weishaupt and take over. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I, I don't how, think that yeah. that Weishaupt would have been happy with him for long. What about some some uh, notable world leaders? Um, uh, let's say uh, Lenin, Castro. Um, would they have been at home in the Karl Marx? Would they all had been at home in the Illuminati? Maybe Lenin. Uh, he had a kind of, he was very manipulative. I mean, it was the philosophical ideals of Marx were reshaped by Lenin, which eventually led to Stalin. Um, you know, one of the first things he did after the revolution was that the Marxist idea of society was to have what they called Soviets, which would be the workers at the factories and the farmers at the farms, would all be in charge of making the decisions about things that concerned their lives. And he thought that was too chaotic and put in the Politburo and dissolved the Soviets. So it became a very top-down bureaucracy, thanks to Lenin. But... I can see that kind of uh, will to power would probably make the Illuminati, if it was effective, appealing to him. All right. We have uh, one more time out to go, and we'll be back. We'll get to uh, uh, Skip on the line from Connecticut and uh, Vic and Hofcast 
uh, in uh, the live chat with your questions. Back with more of my conversation with John Graham, the Bavarian Illuminati. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, let's go to the phones. And uh, as I mentioned, we have Skip from Connecticut. Skip, you're on the line with John Graham. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, John. Uh, I want to ask two things. First of all, the... uh the manipulation of language when Orwell talked about it in 19, uh, 1984, doublespeak, uh, did, was he aware of the Illuminati uh, when he brought that up? And my second thing would be with uh, Kubrick in Eyes Wide Shut, the use of the mask, uh, which supposedly was death to God. Uh, didn't the Illuminati put masks on high society women? Uh, I haven't heard about the high society women in mass, but the uh, first question. Orwell and uh, his use of uh, doublespeak and so forth. Was he familiar well, with the yeah, Illuminati? That, you know, uh, I, I would believe that Orwell was probably familiar with, with the Illuminati uh just because of his own involvement with socialism all his life. Right, okay. And so he was uh, been aware of all the earlier movements. Thanks for that, Skip. You mentioned Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's swan song. Uh, do you think Kubrick was, I mean, was he trying to represent the Illuminati with this, this uh, the secretive group? In the movie? Oh, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, any any uh, person creating, using a secret society will turn to the Illuminati as like the archetype of all secret societies. Which uh, leads to the question of, you know, if they were, here they are, they're only around supposedly for like 11 years back in the, uh, the 1770s, you know, 260 years ago almost. How did that? How did the legend live on? Well, uh, they occur. They they existed at, at at a time of huge transition, and what they were preaching seemed to be at work in the French Revolution, which happened just a few years after. Uh, they were suppressed. So I would think that, you know, and as the, the last part of this book shows, the, the whole sixth part of the book is on all the various uh, people that either promoted the existence of the Illuminati as the secret masterminds behind the French Revolution and similar activities, or tried to debunk it. And there's a lot of, you know, circumstantial evidence that the people would look at, such as Bode, Weishaupt's would-be successor, 
meeting with certain uh, French intellectuals that had a position early on in the revolution. But nowhere is there any actual correspondence or anything. I mean, the, the Illuminati destroyed a lot of their archives themselves when the Bavarian elector was starting to crack down. Uh, there's the letters, you know, to Hertel, to Hosenecker, and others. Members were discussing how they had to destroy everything that might appear incriminating, and they realized that their attempt to convince the elector count that they were, you know, a benevolent organization and had no ill intent toward him or his rule. So do the Freemasons continue to resent this infiltration uh, by the Illuminati because they have been forever linked, you know, as this secret society that is bent on taking over the world? Perhaps that's linked to the infiltration by the Illuminati. I mean, is there do you do you do you believe that there's a great deal of resentment by modern day Freemasons because of the infiltration? I I think if they if people that are aware of it would not look kindly on it. But I know that at the time the Illuminati, especially once they were revealed, were subject to attack from all sides that all the other, you know, the strict observance, the Zinnendorf method, all these different, you know, French and English-inspired Masonic groups in Germany were all uh, attacking the Illuminati as being hostile to their order, a parasite, twisting their, their noble truths for personal gain and so forth. Hollywood often is linked to the Illuminati. I mentioned, you know, the uh, the, Amer- the um, American Music Awards or the Grammys and people are the Oscars. People are always on the lookout for uh, celebrities flashing, you know, the all seeing eye or the pyramid or, um, you know, any of these uh, supposed Illuminati uh, hand signs. Do you think that that is is uh, a publicity stunt? Uh, on the part of these celebrities, like whether it's, I don't know, Jay-Z or Kanye West or Madonna, are they just playing on that? Or do you think that they genuinely believe in the the goals of the the Illuminati and they're trying to, I don't know, resurrect it? Mm. That's a good question. I really, I mean, in my first instinct would say, well, it's just part of the, you know, their promotional effort to, you know, to promote themselves. But, uh, you know, occult ideas have really infiltrated society. They've been with us. I mean, they've never really left. Uh, you know, when you're studying this, you see that the occult revival in France wasn't so much a revival as just a little upsurge because Germany in the 18th century had the similar thing, and you know, they go back to the uh, court of uh, the Emperor Rudolph in Prague, where John Dee and all those people 
congregated. You know, you see that there's always been a counter-narrative to the, the, the religious narrative that has governed us since the founding of Christianity. And, you know, actors and actresses are on the edge. They're more exposed to uh, these ideas than people that are accountants or whatnot. So, I mean, I don't know. I can't say personally. It's a speculation on my part, but I, I could see why people would think there might be a link. Uh, if you had to name one one thing in in researching and translating this book that that really surprised or shocked you, what would it be? <laughs> That's a good one. Well, I was actually just impressed at you know we're dealing with a. Uh, a time before psychology really became codified, you know, 100 years before Freud and Jung and all of that. And they, this whole art of reading people, it's really pretty impressive. And, you know, to me that was the real strength of the Illuminati, that he created this method to teach people to understand themselves and then to read their flaws and their strengths in other people so that they could draw them into their orbit. So, yeah, it's, it's probably feeds right into, you know, more sophisticated levels of mind control or manipulation that you find on the internet today. You could probably trace it back to well, one of the one of the, the the figures of the Enlightenment would have been someone like was it Frederick Anton Mesmer, a hypnotist. He came out of that Enlightenment period. Um, mm-hmm. We're just about out of time, but was uh, was Adam Weishaupt um, a student? Not, not a student, but was he a, a devotee, perhaps, of someone like Mesmer? I don't think so. I mean, what the impression you get of Weishaupt when you've read translating this book is that he was uh, a devotee of a lot of dead authors. (laughs) You know, he was really uh, waging a one-man war that he knew he'd lose, so he created a society to allow the brilliant ideas of ancient Greece and Rome and other parts, you know, other pre-Christian societies to again triumph uh, after they'd been shoved into the shadows by Christian dogma and intolerance. John, we got to leave it right there. But uh, again, the Bavarian Illuminati, the rise and fall of the world's most secret society. Congratulations. 15 years in the making. And... Um, Inner Traditions is the publisher available at all fine bookstores and uh, Amazon as well. Thank you so much, John. Oh, thank you. Nice talking to you.
You too. All right. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, Carlos, back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.